I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We will be doing a series through Luke uh, for the Christmas season um, and then one week in the new year, looking at Christmas through Mary's eyes. And we begin with verse 26 to 38. Well, hear now uh, the word of the Lord. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, if you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. My Father, as we begin to study once again this marvelous text and story of the birth of our Savior, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive it spiritually for the building up of our edification and the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, J.C. Ryle, uh, a great preacher and writer, said, with these words that I just read from Luke, we have the announcement of the most marvelous event that ever happened in this world, the incarnation and birth of our Lord Jesus. Another great preacher, G. Campbell Morgan, said, the story is matchless, mysterious, magnificent, and majestic. And we also hear from a more modern preacher, Kent Hughes, without a doubt, we could spend our lives searching the literature of the world for a story as beautiful as that of the nativity, and we will not find it. See, that's the reality of the situation as we encounter these words found in Luke chapter 1. And it all begins with a young girl named Mary. Now, I grew up, as I mentioned to you, in, a, in about a 90 to 90% Italian Catholic town. Uh, and so we're pretty familiar with Mary. You know, we had schools called St. Mary's High School in our area. We had the Immaculate Heart of Mary Church and other churches of similar name. It wasn't uncommon in my town to also, as you're riding around, to see the little plastic statue in the front yard of Mary um, or large paintings in the house of the Blessed Mother. 
And it's not surprising that Catholics would have that, Roman Catholics that is, is because Mary is worshipped in the Catholic Church. She is said to be sinless by their teaching. She's referred to as the Immaculate One. They believe she was conceived without any stain of original sin. They teach that she was a virgin before, during, and after giving birth, that she's the mother of God because of her unity with the Son of God. And they believe that her death, she was assumed body and soul into heavenly glory. And, and, and really, many Catholic believers, particularly bishops, of course, and, and their priests, teach that she's co-redeemer with Christ. I can kind of vaguely remember in my CCD classes at the Catholic Church that I had to take uh, that we were often told to pray to Mary. And you can get to the mother, you'll get to the son through the mother. Um, and if you wanted a forgiveness for a particular sin, you could secure it, as you may have heard, by saying the Hail Mary, which is the song that we often hear this time of year, the Ave Maria. And so that, that's kind of the history of my town in the Roman Catholic Church, how do we respond to that teaching? Well, we're Protestant Reformed believers. We believe it's blasphemy to teach any of that. Nowhere in Scripture is Mary said to be without sin. Nowhere is she told that she remained a virgin um, or that she was able to give grace to sinners when you prayed to them. Phil Riken says we can only imagine how much it would grieve her to know that people worship her. So I think it's important, uh, at least from my background and, and, and our culture's background, to get our teaching about Mary correct because so many have it wrong. And that's what we're going to be doing over the next six weeks. We're looking at Christmas, as I said, through Mary's eyes. And we'll be following this narrative of Luke and highlighting what we do learn about Mary, uh, what we learn about her son, Jesus, and then what we learn about our own faith. Now, this week, we just have three simple points, Mary's setting, so we'll do some of the background here, Mary's son, and then we'll look at the final verse there in Mary's submission. Now, before we look at those three points, we have to deal with this issue of the angel, the appearance of the angel Gabriel, to be exact. There's millions and millions of angels, but this particular angel is appointed to speak to Mary. Now, you may recognize the name of Gabriel as an angel from the story just prior to this one in Luke about the, uh, the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist to Zechariah. In that story, we read, there appeared to Zechariah an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah is a priest. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear, that is dread, fell upon him. And then the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And then in verse 18, Zechariah responds to the angel with a little bit of doubt. How shall I know this? I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. He's saying, look, look how old we are. I don't think my wife's going to get pregnant. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, 
which will be fulfilled in their time. And so the angel that brought Zechariah great fear, who struck him mute, literally, for not believing his message, now comes and speaks to Mary. Now, if you know the Old Testament, you'll know that Gabriel appears another time in the Old Testament, and this is to Daniel. And I think to kind of get the context and to understand the setting and what Mary's dealing with here, I think it's good that we we read this story of Daniel. In in chapter 8, in verses 15 and 19, we read Daniel was watching the vision, and he was trying to understand a vision, and, and somebody like the Son of Man stood before him, and I heard a man's voice calling, and so this Son of Man, it's... It's an early uh, theophany or Christophany of Jesus. He, this, this angel or so says, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. And, and so he came near to, to Daniel. And Daniel says, I was terrified and I fell prostrate. Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. While he was speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep and my face to the ground. Then he touched me and raised me to my feet and said, I'm going to tell you what will happen later. So you see this pattern here. When Gabriel appears and draws near both to Zechariah and Daniel, they're terrified. There's dread. In fact, in Daniel chapter 10, which I'm going to read as well, we find that the angel says, do not be afraid, like he did to Zechariah. And like Zechariah, Daniel is left mute. We read... In Daniel 10, picking up in verse 4, on the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the river Tigris. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face was like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of multitude." And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled. So I was left alone and and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of the words as I heard the sound of his words. I fell on my face to the ground. Behold, a hand touched me. And set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man, greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you. And he had spoken this word to me, and I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for my, from the first day that you were set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come before you. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, the archangel Michael, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me, Gabriel was speaking to me, according to his words, I turned my face to the ground, and I was mute. And so the prophet Daniel trembles in Gabriel's presence, and he's left mute. And the priest Zechariah trembles in Gabriel's presence, and he's left mute. And now this powerful angel Gabriel makes his third and his last appearance. 
This time it's not to the prophet, nor is it to the priest, but it's to this lowly peasant girl named Mary. And this is where we consider the setting of Mary. Mary is no Daniel in the great city of Babylon, serving in King Nebuchadnezzar's court. She is no Zechariah, living in the great city of Jerusalem, serving in the Lord's temple. She is, in the words of Ken Hughes, a no one in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. It's doubtful whether Gabriel could have found a more unlikely person to greet anywhere in Israel. And yet, when announcing the good news of the birth of the Messiah, a long-awaited Messiah, ever since John 3.15, the Israelites are waiting for the coming of the Messiah. They're anticipating His coming. They're desiring the coming of the Savior. And when the time had come, God sends His angel. He bypasses Jerusalem. He bypasses the temple. He comes to a poor, uneducated virgin peasant girl from this insignificant village. Martin Luther said Gabriel might have gone to Jerusalem and picked out Caiaphas' daughter, who was fair, rich, clad in gold and broader clothes and attended by an entourage of maids in waiting, but God preferred a lowly maid from a mean town. Nazareth was a small village in Galilee. There's no, it's not a center of power. It was not even mentioned in the Old Testament or in Josephus' writings or in the rabbinical writings. People used to say in those days, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's what we read in John chapter 1, verse 46. It's a miserably corrupt city. And yet we read, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, Gabriel enters the home of a girl who's engaged to be married. And that's a significant point is when we're understanding this story. Mary is a young teenage girl. Most scholars, most commentators agree that she's somewhere between the age of 12 and 14, maybe up to 16, which was the common time to be betrothed. And now to be betrothed is a little different than what we believe about engagement. Uh, she has formally now agreed to marry Joseph, but the wedding hasn't taken place. She's living with her parents. He's living with his parents, and this goes on for six months. But they're considered legally married. And so following the custom of the day, she would stay with her parents. He would stay with his until the wedding day. Everything in Luke 1 and 2 that we're going to read about happens against that background. Mary is a devout 14-year-old girl living with her parents and waiting for this and anticipating the day of her wedding. And I believe, and I'm sure it's not hard for you to believe, that things aren't much different then than they are now. Mary's giddy. She's excited. She wants to be married. And in that culture, that was particularly important. If she didn't get married, she's likely to live a life of loneliness, poverty, and bitterness, which is the, her name, Mary, um, which means a bitter mirror. She was marrying in humble circumstances, that's for sure. Joseph, uh, yes, he's at the house of David, which is obviously important, but it was better than singleness in that culture. And so the words of the angel literally would have thrown Mary's life into a complete tailspin. It threatened to destroy everything she was longing for up until that moment. And yet Mary 
at the same time, everything's changing. She, at the same time, is given the greatest honor that any woman has ever been given. She was chosen to be the mother of her Savior, Jesus. It's not out of character with God. It's how God often works. We, we think we have it all figured out, right? We're heading in this direction. We have plans, and God interrupts and steps in with his plans and his goals. Proverbs says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps, Proverbs 16.9. And that's what's happening here. Mary has her plans. She is excited, but God steps in and begins to establish her steps, and it would change her life forever. And so the angel greets Mary, saying, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, that line is why the Roman Catholics pray to Mary, because they, the Latin translation of that verse is, Hail Mary, full of grace. It's a mistranslation, but that's what they were going on. And, and, and the, the problem with that translation is that it treats Mary as the, the source of grace, not the recipient of grace. The Bible actually says is that Mary was the recipient of God's grace, not the treasury of grace upon which she could kind of bestow upon people. She was the recipient. The word favor which comes from the Greek word for grace, and in its present setting here is in a passive particle, which means it refers to the grace Mary was given, not to any grace that she gives to others. And, and so Martin Luther, for example, paraphrased this, O Mary, you are blessed. You have a gracious God. No woman has ever lived on earth to whom God has shown such grace. And so Mary doesn't help us by giving us grace, all those Hail Marys, after doing everything I did wrong, uh, you know, I, I steal something, I'll just say a few Hail Marys, I wasn't doing a thing. Um, but uh, she's not giving us grace, but, but she does help us in this way by showing us that God bestows His unmerited favor, His grace on lowly sinners like Mary and like you and like me. See, even if we feel small and insignificant, living in a no-name town. Uh, Mary surely was that person, right? We can know that God is for us, and, and God is for us. No one can be against us. And so that, that's just a, a, a simple lesson for Mary, but Mary's humble setting and humble soul was fitting for the calling she was receiving. Um, Dr. Reichen says, by choosing Mary, God was beginning to show what humiliation, show us, what humiliation his son would have to endure for the salvation of sinners. What does he mean? Well, the plan of salvation called for Jesus to humble himself, and only after he humbled himself, he'd be exalted. And that's Mary. She is a humble servant. Je Je Jesus had to first enter the misery of our lost and fallen condition before he was exalted. And so God preferred Mary over any of the rich and the famous. Salvation would be all of grace. There was nothing in Mary that merited her to be chosen other than her line cannot contribute to anything, that we, we cannot contribute anything that is to our salvation. That, that's, a, that's a lesson in the setting of Mary. While the angel's words were meant to be reassuring, 
greatly troubled Mary, we read in verse 29, but she was greatly troubled or agitated is the word at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, we can assume that Gabriel didn't appear the same way to Mary as he did the other two, or she would have fallen over, but, 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 but she, she does look past his appearance. She's not troubled by his appearance. She's troubled by his words. She wasn't hysterical, as may be expected of a 14-year-old girl when an angel kind of shows up in your home. But she was a little upset by the words she did not understand. And, and, and we're told she, she tried to discern. So she desperately tried to discern what they meant. And here Mary's setting another example for us. When God's plans are beyond our initial understanding, our first response should be to stop and ponder. That is what it's meant by discern, to keep pondering. Despite her young age, Mary was reflective and meditative, says one pastor. She did not settle for a superficial understanding of the angel's words. Well, the angel doesn't leave her in suspense for long. He gets to the point, and she was greeted by the angel, but he hadn't revealed to her her mission, and that he does in verse 30 which is our second point, Mary's son. This is her mission. Now the angel's going to let her know. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. He said that to Daniel and the Zechariah before her. He now sees this young virgin. Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. There was no reason to be scared because she found favor with God. Favor is a different word from the, is from the same word that is in verse 28. Again, it's, it's from the Greek word for grace. God was showing unmerited, not merited, unmerited favor to Mary. By his grace, she would fulfill her mission, which was what? To give birth to a son. Look at verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, I, I don't think Mary fully understood this. The, the name Jesus was a common name that meant Savior. However, as the angel continues to speak, the impact to Mary it must have been understood. It would have been staggering. Look at verse 32 and 33. So this son of yours, you're going to call him Jesus, he will be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. He will be given the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. It's just amazing she didn't just fall over them, right? The young girl who would become pregnant she would name her child Salvation. He would be great and the son of the Most High. He would be a king and would sit on David's throne, and he would rule over the kingdom that knows no end. If she had any knowledge of Scripture, I believe she did, she would have begun to put the pieces together. She was hearing that she was about to give birth to the long-awaited Messiah. The contrast is amazing here. This humble woman in a humble setting would be mother to the king of kings and the lord of lords. And so this meditative Mary, this uh, betrothed Mary, but she's engaged, the Mary who was in love, she's reflecting on her mission. She hears these words, and she asks a reasonable question. Uh, verse 34, how will this be? I'm a virgin. 
At this point, there's a great contrast between Mary and Zechariah, actually. She does have a question, but Mary's not questioning God's ability. She's not doubting the truthfulness of this prophecy. She, she's merely asking, how will you accomplish this in light of the fact that I've never had sexual relations? That, that's the point. But Zechariah, he did not believe the words of Gabriel when he was told that his wife Elizabeth, who was old, would get pregnant and give birth to John the Baptist. See, Zechariah was asking the question, how can I be sure this will happen? Mary asked the question, I'm sure it will happen, but how? That's the difference. One asked in doubt, the other asked in faith. And think about it. Zechariah had biblical precedence. He, he, he would have known the story. He was a priest. He would have known the story of Abraham and Sarah when they were advanced in years and gave birth. But there is no precedence for a virgin birth. Oh, there's a passage in the Old Testament, Isaiah, that, that they wouldn't necessarily understood completely. But, they, you know, the birth promise of Zechariah was in the realm of possibility. This seems outright impossible. And so she asks the question, how can a woman become pregnant without having sexual relations? And the answer she is given is very simple, by the power and the sovereignty of God. And so the angel, making his declaration to Mary in this historical context of Elizabeth's birth, gives her the answer. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. This is how it's going to happen. And, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Nothing is impossible with God. How will this be, Mary asked. The answer, and the angel answered, God will do it. You see, it's not hard to believe in the virgin birth if you're willing to believe there is a God. He's God. Nothing's impossible with God. And so we read that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, producing in her womb the child Jesus. That's the same spirit that was active in creation when he overshadowed the waters of the earth, we're told in Genesis 1. It's the same spirit that was active in the Exodus when he overshadowed the tabernacle in a cloud of glory, Exodus 40. It's the same spirit that was active in the birth of John the Baptist and would indeed fill John the Baptist from his mother's womb, we're told in Luke chapter 1. And it's the same spirit and the same work of overshadowing that kept Jesus free from all sin, and he will be called holy, the Son of God. That there is the miracle of Christmas. That which we confess, whenever we read that line from the Apostles' Creed, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Mary would give birth to the Messiah, yes. Mary would give birth to a king, yes, but not just any Messiah, not just any king, a fully divine and fully human Messiah king. That was the message that this teenage girl heard on that day. Gabriel was sent to Mary to tell her that she would give birth to a son who would be the fulfillment of the whole Old Testament. Do you believe that message? It sounds far-fetched. 
Do you believe he is the Davidic king who will reign forever? Do you believe he was born of a virgin? Do you believe he is both God and man? Do you believe that he was born to be the Savior of the world? Mary did. We read it in verse 38. This is our third point, Mary's submission. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departs from her. Mary here is the model Christian and disciple. She is the recipient of divine grace. She's humble. She's not proud. She's reflective. She's not superficial. She completely surrenders herself to the Lord, trusting in his power. And she unreservedly submits to his word. And this is all the more amazing when you think of the circumstances. Mary was in love. Mary wanted to get married. And now she is destined for a life of turmoil. She risks, as we learn from the other scripture, the loss of her desired wedding. At this point, she has no guarantee that the angel will speak to Joseph. The angel just left. And, and explain the circumstances of his pregnancy and imagine uh, the scenario if she had explained it herself. No, really, the guy came in. It was an angel. And I, I, he told me I was going to be pregnant. What? And, you know, like, what? you got to try to understand it from that human point of view there, what had been going on. And we know that Joseph had his doubts, right? And then, but not only that, I, I want you to understand what, what he said was, the Messiah that we have been waiting for all these years is going to be born in, uh, in my womb, and he's going to be fully God and fully man, and, and I'm going to carry him to term. She would have been known as the woman who had a child out of wedlock, right? She would have been left to raise this child without a husband in a society that looked down upon women. She will likely be shunned by the community around her. And remember, she would be accused of committing adultery. And then on top of that, if she would have told her story without any verification, at least to Joseph, right? Without any verification, she would have been accused of adultery and blasphemy, and she would have been uh, given the death penalty. She would have been stoned. That is what Mary's facing. That's what she's facing. She doesn't know what we know, this side uh, of the Gospels. And yet, this is what she says. In the face of all that, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. A teenager Bernard de Clairvaux said there are three miracles in this text, actually, that God should be joined with a child, that a mother should remain a virgin, and that Mary should have such faith that she would believe this mystery would be accomplished in her. And see, beloved, if you're going to believe like Mary, if you're going to surrender to the Lord, if you're going to submit to his word, what you need is the same grace that Mary received. This unmerited favor, that's the same grace she needs. That's why she believed, because of the grace given to her by God to understand. And that grace, as mysterious as it is, that grace only comes through her son. She received it through her son. We receive it through her son, the son that Mary born. For it is by grace that you are saved through faith so no one can boast. It's undeserved. That is why Christ came. 
And so this Christmas season, if you want to live, if you want to act, if you want to, you want to think like Mary, like a Christian, then what you need to do is come humbly to the Lord and His Word, knowing in submission to Him that He will eventually lift you up and provide you His grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are astounded at Mary's faith, her calling, her submission. May it be said of us as well. In Christ's name, amen.